Good morning, Skillman Church of Christ. Happy Daylight Savings Day. I think it's a terrible law. And we were talking about it last night around the dinner table about daylight savings and why we do it, why do we change back and forth. And I heard my, my good friend was telling me that in Florida, there is a new law that is moving to, to eliminate daylight savings time altogether. Well, it would be standard time, and they would only keep daylight savings time. And it makes sense in Florida because of the beach and the outdoor recreation that, you know, they want as much time as possible outside. But uh, I think if there is an aspiring, there's Eric Johnston. He's a politician. Maybe he, in the, uh, as a part of his policy, he can work towards uh, uh, eliminating daylight savings time. Just put it on the list, man. So just a couple of announcements before we begin, uh, that June did a great job saying, uh, number one is that we have Friends Day coming up. March 25th is Friends Day, and uh, to explain what Friends Day is about, it's inviting a friend <laughs> to come, uh, come be a part of things. And we're going to have a lunch afterwards, so if you have a friend who you know who is in the neighborhood, who is looking for a church home, or who you just wanted to, uh, to get to know one of us, or some of us, uh, this is a great opportunity. There's lunch afterwards. Some of the life groups, we're going to have kind of a, a talent show kind of deal at, at lunch on the 25th and some, some uh, entertainment. And so please, uh, it's a great opportunity to do that. And also the Easter thing, um, for this year is kind of a cool, we're going to have on the Saturday before Easter, we're going to have something here at the church um, for families. And it's going to be, I think, at 10 o'clock in the morning, the day before Easter on Saturday. And it's also a great chance for you to uh, include some of the people in your neighborhood who may be looking for something to do on Easter. But enough about the announcements. Uh, let's get to the scriptures. Uh, we are right now concluding a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And if you have your Bibles today... Uh, We're going to begin in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed kind kind of going deep into this sermon. It's a sermon that really encourages us to start from within in our love for God. To let our actions not be empty, but to be motivated and, and spurred on by our love for God. It's one that preaches authenticity, forgiveness love. It's one that's a story, it's a sermon that's all about transformation. It's about being people that can be the light of the world and people who can be the salt of the earth. And the whole sermon begins in Matthew chapter 5 verse 1 when it says, Jesus saw the crowds. He went up on a mountainside and sat down. Now I was doing some reading prior to this And in the ancient Near East, when a teacher would assume the sitting position, then that meant that that teacher would have authority. And so I think it's interesting here that Jesus, and it's mentioned in the first verse of Matthew chapter 5, that Jesus went up, he saw the crowds, and he assumed a seated position, which means there was authority behind his words, and they began to teach. And if we look at the context I always kind of like in my brain to kind of go there. What was happening? What did this mountain look like? 
what were, was it kind of a, a hill with rocks? Did, did people sit down in the grass? And I, I do also like to look at the ancient context of that time. Because I think it's a temptation here and now in 2018 for us to read these words in Scripture and to imagine that this sermon was preached kind of in a setting with, with pews and people were sitting there quietly and there was children's church for the, for the kids that were making too much noise. And after Jesus finished his, his sermon, everyone went to Starbucks. And then after that, they went home and they, they, uh, you know, they watched a little Netflix together. It was easy to kind of go that, that life was easy. Uh, that life is almost like it, was, it is for us here and now. But I think uh, if we really look at the context, this was not an easy time for the listeners. In this very sermon, Jesus is preaching to, to Jews who were... Their, their nation was controlled by the Roman Empire. And this wasn't a, a time of joy and laughter. It wasn't a time of, of happiness. It was a time of deep mourning and fear. That their God, the God of Israel, who at one point they were put into exile with the Babylonians, were now under the, the tyranny of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, yes, they, they boasted peace on earth. They boasted that there was not fighting, but their strategy for peace was like this. Here is what we think. Do as we do, say as we say, or we'll kill you. It's your choice. And so these Jews were under this, it's almost like they had a, a boot on their neck of oppression. They were felt marginalized. They felt like God had abandoned them. They wanted to raise up their swords and, and fight against the Roman Empire. And when Jesus starts talking about kingdom this and kingdom that, they're thinking of a worldly kingdom of one with swords and kings and power. And I think it's easy for us, and it's a pretty strong statement, but stay with me here. Those of us in America who are uh, pretty powerful of a nation. Men, Caucasians, those that are educated. Some of us, it's sometimes hard to fully understand what the scripture is saying because we don't fully understand what it means to be oppressed, what it means to be marginalized, what it means to be uh, discriminated against. And the very people that are listening to these words are people who f feel this discrimination. They feel like they are on the outside looking in. So in that context, when we read this sermon, it becomes even more powerful. Because Jesus begins with the Beatitudes. He says, listen, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It's a new kingdom that honors humility. It honors it honors, uh, doesn't honor power, but it honors someone being, being humble in their spirit. Blessed are those who are persecuted. You can see how these words of Jesus are resonating in the minds of these people who feel persecuted and who feel oppressed. He goes on in verse, verses 13 through 16 of chapter 5 saying, hey, listen, even though you are under this persecution, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Two of the most important influential things of that time. You can be the change agents of this day and now. And then in verse 17 through 20 of chapter 5, Jesus says this, I didn't come 
here to get rid of this story. To get rid of the Old Testament. This, in fact, this is one of the key linchpins in the entire sermon. If you don't understand this, you're not going to understand the entire sermon. He says, I have not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it. That God is still at work. The same God that rescued Moses. The same God that was the God of Abraham. He is our God and he is still at work today. The story is not over. In fact, I'm going to take you farther. Farther beyond what the Old Testament said. I will take you there if you stay with me and follow my path. In chapter 6, he, he goes and he talks about how to live this alternative lifestyle. What it means to, to live upside down like loving your enemies. Who would think that that's a good idea to love the people who are persecuting you, to love the Roman Empire, who are, have taken everything, who are taxing you up to 90% of your income, but to love them. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I tell you this. He gives an alternative to the world, turning the other cheek, walking the extra mile. It's revolutionary sermon in the face of persecution. In chapter 7, he begins to conclude. He talks about, about judging, judgment. And in verse 12, he sums it all together. And it's the beginning of the conclusion of this incredible sermon in verse 12 of chapter 7. So in everything, do to others what you would have done, what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And he concludes with three different pairings. He talks about the narrow and the wide gate. He talks about the true and the false prophets. And then he talks about the wise and foolish builders. Let's read that right now in verse 13 of chapter 7. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now this is one of the most quoted scriptures that's often used as a weapon. To scare people into doing the right thing. Or scaring people into submitting in fear of, of hell. Literally this is to scare the H-E-L out of people. <laughs> Literally. And it's often used out of context because if you really think... Of what Jesus is saying. He's saying that right now in the face of this Roman Empire. The people around you. They are saying get your swords. Let's attack. Let's win. Let's win with violence. Let's begin to take control. And Jesus says that if you go through that gate. Which everyone is telling you that will lead to destruction. Which it, it does in 40 years after this was written. People did try that. And Jerusalem was completely destroyed. Uh, and so I remember growing up with a poster in, in my house where you had, this, uh, you had this narrow gate and it had beautiful greenery. And then there was a wider gate and it was like fire. And uh, have you guys seen those posters at all? You didn't see that? Well, maybe it was just in Thailand where I grew up. But it, was, it scared me to death. It scared me, this, this, uh, this poster. You know, I really wanted to make sure I was on the, the narrow path to enter that narrow gate because I didn't want to go to that other place. 
But here, Jesus is saying that there's going to be voices that tell you these things that, that seem easy and seem, seem like it's the way to go, but I encourage you to go through the narrow gate. Verse 15, we'll talk more about that a little bit later, but in 15, it says, uh, one, of the, one of the examples of people who go through the narrow gate are people who watch out for false prophets. In verse 15 it says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree... That does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. So basically Jesus is saying here that you're going to know who's a false prophet and who's a, a, a good prophet by the fruit that they bear. You will see based upon their interactions how they treat others. You will see the fruit based upon who they are and the life that they lived. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And there are so many rock songs about this. Jesus' rock songs. I mean, there's the, that song um, on solid. How's that song? I totally, I totally blew it. How's that go? That's, okay, I, I shouldn't have sung in the sermon. On Christ the solid rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground. That's a rock song, a Jesus rock song. How about this song about the, uh, the wise man built his house upon the rock? There, there's, even, there's even actions to it. Uh, it talks about this foundation that Jesus is saying that my word should form the very foundation of your actions and who you are. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. And in verse 28, it says that when Jesus had finished saying these things, and that particular sentence is used five times in the book of Matthew. The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So this morning I, I would like to look as far as us in 2018. What Jesus is saying in this sermon in the conclusion of his sermon about what it means to be a Christian. What do Christians look like? Because in this particular chapter, he is pretty much summarizing the entire sermon. And he's giving us a picture, three different pictures of what a Christian, a follower of Jesus, what this person would look like. The first characteristic or trait, according to Jesus, of someone who is a follower of him, is somebody that takes the narrow path. 
Someone that takes the narrow path. I really like what the message says, the translation that the message has on this particular verse. Eugene Peterson, who writes this, uh, translates the message, says, Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff. Even though crowds of people do, the way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. Now, this day and time, we, we're not living under the oppression of the Roman Empire like the readers in the first century were. But we do have other forces that are whispering in our ear, that are dividing our attention. We hear voices telling us that we are just one purchase away from happiness. We hear voices telling us that if we just had this, if we just had that, if we just had this, then we would actually be fulfilled and happy. We have voices telling us that we look in the mirror that maybe we need to change this or put more makeup on here. We have all these voices telling us all these things. And the tendency is to go through these gates, these, these pathways that lead us, that society will take us into. But Jesus is saying that the way to life isn't through shortcuts. That discipleship, spiritual, that requires intentionality. It requires discipline. It requires us making a decision to make a change in our life and to follow the teachings of Jesus. And you talk to any great athlete out there, those Olympic Olympians, to get to that point of maturity as an athlete, there was time in the weight room. There was time spent going to bed early, studying the sport, but also in training. And it required intentionality and discipline. They, they watched what they ate. And, you know, someone, uh, I was Russell Johnson, he's, do, he's doing this right now. He, one of the secrets to his slim figure is that uh, he doesn't have any dessert at all. Sometimes the way into life, the way into a healthy lifestyle requires a certain amount of discipline. Requires having no dessert, like Russell Johnson does. My inspiration, I'm not strong enough for that. <laughs> I can't do it. In fact, when I was a kid, one of the, my dad, what he would do sometimes, it's one of these things, and if you know him, it, it totally makes sense. But he would require us from time to time to eat something really gross, uh, just on purpose. And it would be healthy, and it would be, uh, of course, uh, sanitary, but it would, it would taste terrible. And his rationale was you should never let your tongue be the lord of your body. You should never let your tongue be the lord of your body. And so you, to doing that, to eat things, you need to, to, to eat whatever is put in front of you. You need to train your tongue to eat whatever it can. So growing up, I remember eating these really strange things from time to time to train my tongue so that I would be able to eat anything. And even with my own family, uh, you know, we really strive to have our kids eat uh, a variety of vegetables and, and uh, certain things. And they don't taste good at first. Um, like, for example, my son Mac, the, our five-year-old, he does not like avocado. For some reason, he, he hates avocado. The other day, we were talking about what was for dinner. And I was saying, well, we're going to have, uh, you know, rice and, and, and beans. And, we're gonna, and I started joking around and said, and we're going to have, along with the rice and the beans, we're going to have elephant toenails. And Mac, my five-year-old, stood up and he said, Elephant toenails? That's disgusting. I don't want any elephant toenails for dinner. 
And so I started to play, play with him, you know, with this idea of trying to eat some things and, and, and push himself with intentionality in, in his tongue. And I said, here's the deal. We're going to have avocado and elephant toenails. And you're going to have to choose between avocado and elephant toenails. And it got really quiet, and he was thinking about it. And finally I heard him say, ah, okay, I'll eat the toenails. <laughs> True story. There is an element of spirituality that requires effort, that requires intentionality, that requires us to spend time growing, and sometimes growing is painful. But we as Christians, we choose to listen to that voice. When people are telling us to take revenge on that boss who did you wrong in an immature way, we hear the voice of God telling us, no, take the narrow path. Solve that problem in a better way using love and kindness and respect. When we hear that voice telling us in our mind, hey, if you buy this, then you will be happy and succeed and, and, and fulfill, fulfilled. We hear the, the voice of God in our ears saying, hey, no, take the narrow path. You don't need to do that. You don't need to follow the Joneses. You can be content with who you are and what you are doing. Number two, one of the mark of Christians is that we are known by our fruit. In the message, again, it says, Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping, the practice, dripping with practice sincerity. Chances are they are out to rip you off some way or another. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing. Not, uh, who preachers are, are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. It reminds us that this ultimately is a story of transformation. It's a story, the Jesus story is one that changes lives. If we are not being changed, then we, we're not listening to Jesus. We're not following his words because the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These are all the things that should come, should overflow with our faith in God. We are known by the very fruit in our life. When, and it's easy to smell in our pursuit of who, which voice to listen to. These voices that we hear all the time of what's right and what's wrong. It's easy to see, well, what is resulting from this voice. You can see the ultimate reality. Like, for example, when I had a youth minister uh, as, a, as a young kid, he told me, he had a funny phrase. He said, you know, you can put on a suit without taking a shower, but the closer you get, something will always smell funny. This idea that the truth will always rise to the top, that if we do not see fruit in these voices that we listen to, or even with our own life, then we need to take a greater look at the scripture. Finally, who Christians are has this, has this conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount is that Christians, we make the words of Jesus the foundation of our lives. We make the words of Jesus the foundation of our lives. Again, from the message, Eugene Peterson says, These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work, 
these words into your life. You are like a smart carpenter who builds his house on a solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, and the tornado hit. But nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. Are we living and breathing the very words of Jesus in our life? Are we taking the teachings of Jesus? Are we letting it sink into our hearts and transform us so that there is fruit from our experiences, from our interactions, from who we are? You see, Jesus taught with authority. He says this time and time again in, in the Sermon on the Mount. He taught with authority. In fact, I was doing some reading on some commentaries, and this common phrase, you've heard it said, da 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 Normally, in the, in the ancient Near East, teachers, spiritual teachers, would quote other teachers. They would quote this other rabbi, Rabbi Joel, uh, Rabbi so-and-so. You've heard it said from Rabbi so-and-so, but Rabbi so-and-so says this. You've heard it said this, but, but Rabbi Joel says this. But what does Jesus do in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. This was an incredible statement of authority. And this is why the people were amazed at his teaching. I'm going to ask you again, ask us as a people, are we letting the words of Jesus anchor our lives? Are we letting these teachings consume us and transform us into the people that Jesus desires for us to be? Are we spending time in Scripture reading about Jesus and there's this speaker named Ray Vanderland, and he tells a story of when he was in Israel, in Jerusalem, doing his graduate studies in a, uh, with, with a Jewish uh, seminary, or I'm, I'm not sure that's the right word, but he was studying alongside uh, a lot of Jewish people. And they asked him about, uh, <clears throat> about Jesus and following their rabbi. Jesus is our, is the one that we follow. And this co-student of Ray Vanderland, he said, I can't imagine why as Christians you're not reading the Gospels once a week or, or twice a week or, or multiple times a month to fully grasp and understand who your teacher is. We as Christians, we are followers of Jesus. We need to do as he did, follow in his example. Are we spending time learning about him, reading about him, being consumed in his word? Are we letting his words be the very foundation of our lives? It's been an incredible, incredible sermon that we've been able as a community to walk through these past several weeks. And this story, this sermon that Jesus is talking about, it, he was speaking to uh, listeners who were without hope, who were searching for meaning. And he's giving them a message, an alternative way to live, a way of life and love, a way that can bring light to the world be the salt of the earth and, and taste to what is around us. He gave an incredible picture of what it means to be a follower of him. Each Sunday, too, we are able to, to listen to these words. And our prayer is that we can be transformed, moved to action, to be these people in the world. And each Sunday, too, we give this congregation a chance to respond if they would like to, to the message of Jesus. 
if there's something where prayers are needed, we are here as a community for you. And there's a person beside you you can pray with, or there'll be elders around the, the, the auditorium. I'll be in the front to pray with you if there's something that you've been moved because of the words of Jesus. If you are not a follower of Jesus, a disciple of him, and you want to be, this is also a chance for you to learn more about what that means. But we are Christians. We follow this man named Jesus who taught love, who taught forgiveness. May we live this sermon each and every day. May we let the words of Jesus impact our life. Let's stand and let's sing these incredible words. Everyone.